the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Got questions concerning elder or state law? Attorney Mike Connors has the answer. He was recognized in 2012 as one of New York's top lawyers by New York Magazine and brings over 30 years' experience to the table. His office number is 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Here's Mike Connors. We are gathered here on hallowed ground. Horses Welcome to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors, accompanied by my wife, Beth. Hello, everybody. And our engineer for the evening, my son, Michael. Hello, everyone. Okay, for those of you who don't know about the show, the show is in a couple of parts. The first part, we talk about estate planning and elder law. And the idea behind estate planning is to pass assets from one generation to the next, paying the least amount in taxes we need to pay legally, avoiding going through court, avoiding probate, and as far as elder law is concerned, trying to save assets from nursing home bills. The second part of the show, we talk about politics, history, religion, and today we're going to be talking about two threats to the United States. One inside threat, and I don't know if you, whether it be Antifa, cancel culture, or whatever it is, but we're, we're talking to Ed Mullins, president of the Sergeant's Benevolent Association for New York City Cops, and we're going to talk to Brigadier General Spaulding about the threat of China, which... You know, his his book out there is making it a lot worse than some of us think. So we've, we've got to be prepared for the, the fights ahead, and we've got to vote on Election Day. But in any event, we'll start with the state planning. And, Beth, we have a couple of questions. Can you lead us off? Yes, indeed. Um, Mr. Connors, what is the difference between long-term care insurance and Medicaid, and which has better health coverage? I mean, that's that's an interesting question. Uh, you know, long-term care insurance, very few people have long-term care insurance. Long-term care insurance, a lot of times what I refer to it as nursing home insurance. And I know a lot of people have long-term care insurance to pay for home care. Um, that's, you know, if you haven't purchased it before you're 60 years old, it gets very expensive. Somebody over 60 wants to get a good policy that's going to cover everything. Long-term care insurance is going to cost you seven or $8,000 a year, which means if you're married, it's going to cost $8,000 a year for a husband and $8,000 a year for a wife. And not a lot of people on fixed incomes can really you know, afford to pay for that. That's why, in a lot of cases, we're forced to turn to Medicaid. Medicaid is a program that's financed both by the state and state, city, really, and federal government to provide for benefits for nursing home care and home care. Now, Medicaid is, in theory, for the poor, but under New York State rules, we can make ourselves poor to avail us uh, of the benefits. Now, again, long-term care insurance is nursing home insurance. If you can afford it, please buy it. You know, like, and, and here's the one time that I would strongly, really strongly recommend it. Let's say we got a husband and wife. Husband has a high amount of money tied up either in his 401k, IRA, or his pension. You know, we have sometimes city workers that have high pensions, and we can assign assets between husband and wife if, let's say, the husband gets sick. We cannot assign income that easily. So if, let's say, we have, uh, you know, a teacher with a lot of money tied up into teacher's retirement plans, TDAs, I, I'd like I'd like to have long-term care insurance so we can protect the spouse. Now, at the same time, if you have a couple where their income is not that high, Long-range planning, what we may look for is Medicaid. And the laws are changing October 1st, which is really not too far from now. I mean, you know, people say, eh, it's the middle of summer. October's the fall. That's a long time away. It's not. October 1st, the laws are changing. And if you want to start protecting your assets from medical bills, nursing home bills, home care, I strongly suggest you think about doing some planning now before 
uh, October 1st. Because if you put your assets in a trust before October 1st, they're protected right away where we're in a position to apply for home care Medicaid. If you wait till after October 1st, there's going to be a 30-month look-back period. What does that mean? If you apply for benefits, they look at all your transactions for 30 months prior to your application for benefits. And 30 months is a long time. you got a 90-year-old person. 30 months could obviously be their life expectancy. So plan in advance. If you're looking that way, put your assets in an irrevocable trust today, by today, before October 1st, and then you're in a position to protect those assets. Nursing homes right now to pay for Medicaid, we got a five-year look-back period, which means, again, they examine all your transactions for five years prior to your application for benefits. But even then, if you're in one of those situations, they're exempt transfers, transfers between spouses, transfers to a disabled child, transfer of a homestead if we have a son or daughter living in the same house for two or more years, transfer of a homestead if we have a brother or sister living in the same property for two or more years. So if you're in one of these crisis situations, give us a call. We'll give you the right advice. But long-term care insurance you're paying privately is expensive. If you can afford it, please get it. Those of you out there, they got a lot of money tied up in retirement plans, pensions. Please get it because we can transfer assets between husband and wife. It's not that easy to transfer income between husband and wife. So, you know, you police officers out there that have the high pensions, think about getting long-term care insurance to protect your spouse. I can't say that enough. And, and again, if you have questions, you come in and talk it over with us at Connors and Sullivan at 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. Now, each week, Kevin McCullough takes one of our questions, and he asks that question for the benefit of his audience, and you can hear Kevin McCullough Monday through Friday on 570 The Mission at 3 o'clock, 970 The Answer at 5 o'clock. There's a bonus hour on Wednesdays when Kevin is sharing his time with John Katsimatidis from 4 to 6. So take it away, Kevin. Hi, Kevin McCullough. Every week we get a question answered from Mike Connors of Connors & Sullivan. You know them as the premier law firm when it deals with estate care and elder law, and we are uh, glad to have Mike back. Mike, this week's question comes from a man named Paul. He says, Mr. Connors, can you explain what the power of attorney is And can my son use it when I am ill to protect assets from Medicaid and bills? Your answer, Mr. Connors. Okay, the first thing, a power of attorney is a written document that's notarized, witnessed by two people, where you can appoint someone, usually a family member, in this case a son, to manage your assets. God forbid you have a stroke or another disabling illness. Now, one of the reasons we sign a power of attorney, God forbid somebody's going to a nursing home, we want to spend money, give some money away, we use the power of attorney. Again, that's assuming, in this case, the father is not competent to handle things. Then the son can do it. He can protect assets from nursing homes. He can apply for home care Medicaid, nursing home Medicaid, sign any document that his father would be able to sign. So it's a very important tool in protecting assets, the power of attorney. You've got to give it to somebody you trust because in, in, in the wrong hands, somebody could wipe you out and steal you blind. So you've got to be careful. But, yes, that's why you have a power of attorney. And uh, it is uh, the perfect tool to protect the assets and to uh, help in those uh, end-of-life situations. Right, yes. All right, friends, maybe you need help in setting up your power of attorney. Maybe you have other questions about your will or your uh, trusts. Uh, maybe you need to establish them, both. Uh, the good folks at Connors & Sullivan can help you do that. They helped us do it in the McCullough household. Here's the phone number to get your free appointment, 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. Five convenient offices throughout the tri-state area, 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. Mike Connors uh, will be answering more questions next week here on Kevin McCullough Radio. And of course, this weekend coming up on AM 5 70 the mission at 8 a.m and 6 p.m and uh, sunday morning starting at 11 o'clock on am 970 the answer mike connors thanks so much thank you kevin if you're a homeowner age 62 or older and are finding it hard to pay off debt or how about enjoying your retirement years with less stress a government insured reverse mortgage may be the answer or might be the perfect solution for you and your family Hi, this is Frank Melia, a certified mortgage planner. I've been a mortgage specialist for over 20 years, and I've helped countless homeowners all over the tri-state area tap into a little or a lot of their home equity so they can use it right now. 
This past October, the federal government made changes to the reverse mortgage loan program. Give me a call now so our office can show you how these changes affect how much money you receive and how the annual mortgage insurance costs have decreased. My job is to help you find the best solutions for your retirement goals. I do this by educating homeowners with straightforward information and answers. It's free to call and speak with me, Frank Melia, to determine if this FHA program might be able to help you and your loved ones now. Call and speak with me right now. I'll answer your questions and help you decide if a reverse mortgage is right for you and your family. Make the call now, 888-943-2646. Or try me on the internet at www.quanticbank.com backslash fmelia. Once again, call 888-943-2646 and you could be on your way to a stress-free retirement. Frank Melia, NMLS number 62591. All loans provided by Quantic Bank, NMLS number 403503. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors, still accompanied by my wife, Beth. Still here. And my son, Michael. Hello, everyone. Michael, uh, you know, we just heard a question asked on the Kevin McCullough Show. If you, if you have a question for us, you want to email it to us, where, where do we send the question? Where does the audience send the question to? If you want to reach us and hear your questions answered on air, you can email us at askmikeconnors at gmail.com. That's askmikeconnors, C-O-N-N-O-R-S, at gmail.com. Yeah, and and you can ask any question whatsoever. And we we try to get to all the questions. I'm not sure some don't fall through the cracks, and if they do, I'm sorry. Because I'll tell you something right now, I'm not capable of reading these email questions. I just have somebody pull it up for me. Because, you know, like I'm still in, you know, the 20th century. I am barely got into the 20th century. <laughs> I haven't gotten into the 21st yet. You know, I, I'm getting there sooner or later. Um, let me ask you, uh, YouTube, what do we have on YouTube? On YouTube right now, we have a lot of our Connor's Corner conversations, but coming soon will be a full seminar set of not just a le- you know, we'll have the full lecture, but also we're going to have questions answered by you, Dad, Yay! for our audience and for our listeners to get into some of the weeds of estate planning. Um, you want to talk more about that? or Yeah, and if you have any questions you want to ask on YouTube, I guess you can send it and we'll try to get it up later. Yeah. Um. You know, it's something new for us. I Listen, I used to do seminars every month practically, but obviously since uh, this year I haven't done any seminars at all because the circumstances are such because of COVID. You know, we, we can't rent out a hall. We can't have more than 10 people in a room even if we did rent it out a hall, and it's not worth doing a seminar for 10 people. Although if you have a church group uh, or, or whatever, I would be willing to do a, a seminar for a church group if we're socially distanced properly or whatever. So, uh, and if you want, or, or if things get a little bit better and we're a little bit, you know, easier to socially distance and get things done, you can give us a call at 718-238-6500. We'd be glad to do a seminar at your church or organization. Of course, we can also do the seminars by Zoom right now. Something, you know, I didn't even conceive of a couple of months ago. And, Here's another thing. For those of you who are housebound and you say, well, you know what? I can't come to the office right now. It's too dangerous for me to leave the house. We can sign a will. We can sign the documents that we're talking about through Zoom. Basically, if you have a laptop or a phone, cell phone, in your office that takes pictures, we can connect on that. We can see you sign. You have to be within New York State, but we can see you sign we can legally witness the documents, which we couldn't do before the COVID crisis. So we can do all your estate planning. You can stay at home and give us a call. Usually we need a little bit of cooperation from somebody who can set us up on the the laptop, who can bring the documents in after they're signed. But being stuck at home is not a reason not to do your estate planning. And now more than ever, you need to do some planning. You never know what's going to happen, you know, in this world. But Give us a call at 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. As long as you live in New York State, we can see you in your home through Zoom. Now, what, Michael, we have another question we haven't answered yet today, right? Yes, we do. This is from Gregor. Can a non-U.S. citizen, non-resident, inherit from a U.S. citizen? Do they have to come to the U.S. to receive their inheritance? What taxes apply to them? Okay, well, yeah, there's no problem in uh, non-U.S. citizen inheriting from a U.S. citizen or anybody else in the States. That's not a problem. They don't have to come to the United States 
to uh, claim their inheritance, so to speak. Now, sometimes we have to verify um, who the person is. They have to sign receipts. They may have to go to the American consulate. You know, some some countries, it's not that easy to get things done. Like if you, you have a relative in Iran you want to leave some money to, that's a hassle, but it still can be done. We have to work through a Canadian bank. But yeah, you know, let's say you have somebody in Europe, European Union country. Basically, you go to the American consulate. They witness your signature. We send the assets. We wire to your local bank over there in that country. The taxes are the same as they would otherwise be. You know, we wire the, the taxes. If there's no estate tax, there's no estate tax. And if you live in New York State, there's no estate tax under $5,850,000. So if the total estate is under $5,850,000, there's no tax. You can wire the money there. The only thing is we need a U.S. citizen to act as executor to get the money, let's say, from here to whatever country, you know, you're, you're talking about. And and 98% of the countries in the world is not a problem. Like I said, I mentioned a problem with Iran. I know we used to have a lot of problems with Cuba, Cuba right now, but, we're, you know, we have to look on that. But I'm sure if it comes up, it wouldn't be that, you know, serious a problem. And and some countries you can even sign in front of a notary. Those countries, this law is descended from uh, English common law. So we do this all the time. You know, and in Connors and Sullivan, we got, I think we got virtually every, we got an awful lot of languages covered where we can communicate with a lot of people in this world. You know, whether it's in Asia or Europe, Philippines, obviously. Norwegian. Yeah, well, that's Europe. West. West, <laughs> I said. You know, Europe is... is Fairly easy to, you, you know, the Amer- I've never had any problems dealing with the American consulates in whatever country in Europe. So, um, you know, that, 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 that is not a problem. And so if you want to leave assets to somebody overseas, the only thing is we need to talk about who the executor is going to be. Because under ordinary circumstances, you want the executor to be a U.S. citizen. Now, in theory, the executor could have a green card and be living in New York to qualify as executor in New York. But the problem is if they're in New York and they move to Jersey, in theory, they don't qualify to be the executor. So ideally, the executor you choose should be a U.S. citizen. And that's one of the things we can talk about. So again, if you're in that circumstances, you want to leave assets to somebody overseas, you can give us a call at 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500. You know, we're going to take a short break and we're going to be talking to two guests today who are talking about threats to the United States. Ed Mullins, president of the Sergeant's Benevolent Association and General Spaulding, expert on China. You're listening to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors. We all know someone who's been touched by cancer. It's the second leading cause of death and it took the life of my father, John Wayne. But even in his final days, he was thinking about helping others and publicly campaigning to raise awareness about cancer. His courage and grit inspired our family to do everything we could to fight the big C, as my dad called it. So we did something about it and founded the John Wayne Cancer Institute 35 years ago to advance life-saving research. Our discoveries are fundamentally changing the way cancer is treated around the world. Cures are within our reach, but we can't do it alone. I'm Patrick Wayne, and I'd be honored if you joined us in the fight against cancer. You can make a lasting legacy by helping to eradicate this deadly disease. Together, we can save lives. To learn more, visit jwcigiving.org. That's jwcigiving.org. Time now for Connor's Corner, where Mike takes a closer look at topics like history, politics, religion, and more. Here's Mike. Welcome to the Connor's Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. You know, in in Diker Heights uh, a couple of weeks ago, there was a march in support of the police department. And there were some counter-protesters, and it was in the newspapers, and it was kind of supported by some of our elected officials, that the organizers of the march were white supremacists, KKK members, which I've lived in Brooklyn all my life, and I really don't know too many people who are white supremacists or members of the KKK. But that's what these people are 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 being they're being vilified just because they're supporting police officers. Now, with me right now is Sergeant Ed Mullins from the Sergeants Benevolent Association. Welcome to Connor's Corner. Thanks, Mike. Happy to be here. 
Do you have any comment of what is going on in today's world? Um, how how come supporting the police all of a sudden became a racist uh, diet? You know, you're subject to a racist diatribe if, if you support the police. Well, you're subject to it because the small number of anti-police have gotten a large number of media attention. And it seems that what occurs today in this country, in particular in this city, anyone who is in disagreement um, with the opposition, so to speak, gets labeled as a racist because what is the one thing that's almost indefensible uh, to come back against is they label you a racist. And, uh, you know, if you don't agree with something, you're a racist. But, you know, realize that people are being painted as a racist um, without even knowing that, without knowing their backgrounds, without knowing where they come from, what they might have done anywhere in life, um, how they treat people. Um, you know, people that are Christian people, um, you know, my experience has always been that they're not racist. And, you know, we, we now take the brush of racism and paint it across the board to anyone who is in disagreement with um, the anarchists, as I described. They're not so much, um, you know, peaceful protests. Yeah, there's peaceful protesters, but when that protest changes direction, and violence occurs, that's no longer a peaceful protest. And um, if you notice, the media doesn't even draw attention to that. Um, I myself was a week ago in, uh, involved with a peaceful march across the Brooklyn Bridge with members of the clergy from throughout the city of New York. And we had described peaceful protesters in opposition to members of the clergy. And they were not peaceful protesters. They were people that were, you know, disrupting. They had baseball bats that were being delivered to uh, City Hall Park. Um, they were fighting with the police. That's not peaceful protest. And if you disagree with them, then you're a racist. I mean, we, we label the president a racist. We label everybody a racist that is in disagreement to a particular issue. Um, you know, we, we label them anti-women. We label them anti-gay. And we know nothing about the people that we identify as that. It's just, a, you know, a paintbrush going across a particular issue. Um, you know, I, I did an interview a week ago, and there was a QAnon mug behind me that all of a sudden, you know, Ed Mullins was labeled a QAnon member, supporter. Well, I wear Nike sneakers. Does that mean that I support cheap labor, slave labor? Is, is that what that means? But it, it's the extreme liberal left that is um, trying to, I, I describe it as an overthrow of capitalism, an overthrow of the country to move to socialism, so to speak. And I got news here, that's just not going to happen. So, um, you know, they, they better, you know, change their ways and enjoy this nation because there's millions of people waiting to get here, millions, and they can easily replace these anarchists that are trying to overthrow government let me ask you something and and i don't think enough has been really spoken about this you're saying people are delivering baseball bats some places bricks all of a sudden appear who's paying for this who's behind this well we believe in law enforcement that this is organized i understand that the federal government the department of justice is doing investigations as to where the money is coming from um, there's all kinds of speculation that it's coming from George Soros. Um, you know, I can't say that to be true. I, I have not participated in any aspect of that investigation. But a good majority of the people that, you know, come to these events are from out of town. Um, you know, I, I spoke to people just two days ago that were at the protests here in New York City. And they described to me uh, certain individuals would you know, break a window to a store, set the stage for the looting, and what were peaceful protests or the opportunity for, uh, you know, free merchandise, and they participated in the looting. So, you know, this is staged in many, many ways. We look at what's going on in, you know, uh, Portland. Um, you know, how do elected officials choose to not protect the people that they were elected to serve? How does that happen? How does the mayor in Seattle not get charged with um, some type of a, a murder charge for the two individuals who were murdered 
inside that six square block encampment that she allowed to, um, you know, take place for a period of weeks. You just did not do your job. You have an obligation to protect the public. Um, you chose not to. Uh, the narrative that we hear always seems to be laid upon the police. And what, you know, when you talk about like Mayor de Blasio, and I've been very public about the stand down orders coming from Mayor de Blasio, um, they'll deny it. They'll say, no, we've made some arrests and there's no stand down orders. Well, they're outwardly lying to the public. Um, I'm in the NYPD, I talk to rank and file members every day. Uh, the frustration that exists amongst the rank and file to see stores being looted, fires being started, and not be able to respond to that. Um, uh, you know, the leadership in the NYPD is, you know, really something for a case study. At what point do you defy an order that puts people's lives in danger? And if you ask them, they'll tell you, we're not defying any orders. There is no order. But you explain to me why the murders are up, the shootings are up, um, why the police have their hands tied. Why did from Fordham Road in the Bronx get destroyed and stores in Brooklyn and, and lower Manhattan and midtown Manhattan? How does that happen when the greatest police department in the world with 35,000 members was unable to stop it? I know we have the capability to stop it, but yet we didn't. So what's the answer to that? Uh, we're a couple of weeks past it, and still I have no answers to it. How do you guys go to work? How, how does the rank and file go to work? How do you, how do you keep up with it? I, I, I admire the, the, the people who are showing up for work, but it's got to be a horrible situation right now. Morale is at an all-time low. I have 38 years in the NYPD. Um, I don't think there's anybody in the NYPD that can speak for the city of New York um, like I have. I, I'm born and raised in, in Manhattan. I, I have been serving the city for the last 38 years. I've seen the crime in the 70s and 80s and the changes that have been impacted. I've never seen it as bad as far as morale goes. I, I do see the pendulum going back to where we were in the early 80s. And why do the cops continue to come into work? They do it for each other. Um, you and I are partners. We, we work every day together. When I don't show up, I leave you exposed. When you don't show up, you leave me exposed. And they do it for the person to their left. They do it for the person to their right. Um, there, there's a certain brotherhood, sisterhood that exists. That You can be retired from this job 25 years run into somebody in the state of Montana that was a member of the NYPD and you're just as welcomed 25 years from now as you are today. And we do it for each other so that no one else is left there to do it alone. But the leadership in this department um, is sorely lacking. It's terrible what I'm saying. What do you want the public to do? What can we do to, to show our support? We need the public to vote. We need the public to realize that when they disarm the police, so to speak, um, when they can tie the hands of the police and limit our abilities to protect you, once that happens, there's nothing standing in the way between you and the criminal element. Right now, it's only the police. This joke of a mayor that comes out with we need to rely on the community. Um, we had Eric Adams say that fireworks was a social problem. Don't call 911, 311. A young lady was killed as a result of that. Um, that proves exactly what I'm talking about. We are standing between good and evil. And if you're okay with that, then be prepared to be standing with evil because it's coming to you. We're the only ones stopping it. And the police will do what they can do to stop it, but you need to speak up. You need to uh, do what you're doing right now, Mike, with people who have uh, you know, positions to address large numbers, is to make them aware, to teach them, to get them to realize that when your sons and daughters travel about in the city or when you're going to and from work or just going out to buy groceries, that you are no different than any other victim. The question is, is today your day? 
Um, we're seeing people being shot and killed in record numbers that we haven't seen in 30 years. We had a one-year-old child killed in Brooklyn uh, almost two weeks ago. So you think about an innocent one-year-old child sitting outside his building with his parents, never got the chance to play baseball, never got to dream about what it's like to have Santa Claus show up, never got a first day of, of kindergarten. Um, that was taken from him. So there's two parents who have a heartache. Does anybody else want to be that next person? I mean, when we can sit here and say Ed Mullins is causing all this drama and he's trying to create fear, let's, let's look at the fact pattern of what has happened. And that's what we're talking about. And it hasn't ended. So the public needs to uh, realize, do you want the way of life that you have, or are you ready to go experience something that you're going to be sorry for? Um, and I think that's a question that many people need to think about. Ed Mullins, thank you for your service to the city. Thank you for what you're doing. And if there's anything we can do to help you guys out, please let us know. I appreciate it. Have a great day. Same. Thanks again. How can I protect my family if something happens to me? What if I need to go to a nursing home? What will happen to our savings, our home? What's the best way to give my home to my kids? Who will help us take care of Grandpa? These and many other questions can be answered with a phone call to Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC, 718-238-6500. Mike Connors, one of New York Magazine's top lawyers, has over 30 years of estate planning and elder law experience. Mike and his team of professionals will help you protect your assets from probate, taxes, and nursing home costs so you can have peace of mind knowing you and your family will be taken care of and protected. I'm Mike Connors, founder of Connors & Sullivan. People don't plan to fail, they fail to plan. The time to plan is now. I'm Beth Connors. Call today for a free initial consultation with one of our experienced lawyers. Connors and Sullivan in Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, and Staten Island. Call 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500 or connorsandsullivan.com. Welcome to the Connors Corner segment of S Lawyer. Our next guest is Brigadier General Robert S. Spaulding III. He has a book out, Stealth War, How China Took Over While America's Elite Slept. Welcome to Connors Corner. Thank you. Great to be here. Okay, so we know what the book is about, but what is the book about and why did you write it? Well, it's really about our competition with the Chinese Communist Party-led China. And, uh, you know, the last five or six years of my career in the Air Force really focused on, you know, dealing with this competition. And I thought that it would be good to get out and tell the American people about, you know, what I learned and why the administration has taken the position it has with regard to tariffs and all the other uh, changes to, to foreign policy with regard to China that they've done over the last, you know, three years. All right, now what what has China done over the last few? What did the Chinese do during the Obama administration? It's so disturbing. Well, I think it's uh, the same thing they've been doing since um, really since they joined the WTO. It's been you know essentially uh, you know widespread economic espionage, you know the greatest transfer of wealth in the history of the world, really. The um, Confucius Institutes in our in our universities, and really the undermining the principles and values in our academic system. Uh, you have Wall Street that's been co-opted for, you know, driving American retirement funds into China to build, you know, vast infrastructure, the Belt and Road Initiative. You have really the, the widespread theft of military security technology and the use of that those technologies to push the United States out of the Indo-Pacific theater. There's a whole host of activities that, you know, continue to this day that, um, you know, were in the Obama administration, they were in Bush 1 and 2, they were in the Clinton administration, and really represent probably the single, single most, you know, existential threat to American democracy. Now, you mentioned, what, the Confucius Institute. What, what are they? So they're really um, what the Chinese claim them to be are, you know, uh, you know, essentially in universities, in the United States universities, 
these uh, teaching units that are supposed to teach, you know, Chinese culture and Chinese language. Uh, instead, they're actually used to promote the Chinese Communist Party narrative into the university. So basically, they indoctrinate our students, but also used to control and monitor uh, all Chinese students that are attending those universities. So in other words, like if the foreign exchange students from China, they're strictly monitored by their government. Right. Uh, the Confucius Institutes are basically run and funded by the, the propaganda arm of the Chinese Communist Party. I, I, I think some of the listeners out there might be worth, you know, how does the Chinese government, what's the structure of the Chinese government? What, you know, like in the United States, everything, you know, we have governors and we have Republicans, Democrats. But what is the Chinese government like? That's actually a really good question. So most people don't know that China has two constitutions. There is a Chinese Communist Party constitution and the People's Republic of China constitution. The sovereign of China is the Chinese Communist Party. So the Chinese Communist Party constitution is what governs China. The banks, the police, the borders, the military all report and are uh, swear loyalty to the Chinese Communist Party. And so when you talk about a, a, a province in China, the, um, the, you know, the authority doesn't come from the provincial governor. That actually comes from the head of the Chinese Communist Party in that, in that province. The same within the, the military, the People's Liberation Army. They have political commissars that you know are essentially in charge of military units. So throughout the you know China, the Chinese Communist Party is like uh, almost like a mafia or you know a third level of government that that runs across everything. And you know what. What are the problems that we're going to face as the United States over the near future and, and long-term future if things don't change? Well, what already has happened is we've lost, you know, over 70,000 factories, 5 million manufacturing jobs. Not only that, but, you know, the introduction of 5G and the app services and business models that accompany 5G, the ability to influence, you know, our population through the Internet, through e-commerce, through social media platforms is really going to be embedded into the technology that's deployed in the future. That's essentially what they're doing is, is using, you know, globalization and the Internet through these uh, Internet connections and through the app services and business models and the companies that develop these app services and business models, the ability to extend their influence into democracy. So it's really about changing the character of democracy slowly through through these, uh, you know, economic and financial and information connections. So what is what 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 does the future hold if we don't change? And what does the future hold if what can we do if we do change? Well, so as I talk about in my book, there's a, there's a gentleman, Roy Jones, that worked for the Marriott Corporation, liked to tweet about Tibet, and the Chinese Communist Party found out and had the Marriott Corporation apologize and fire him. Of course, you know about uh, Daryl Morey, the general manager of the Houston Rockets, who was almost fired at the behest of the Chinese Communist Party. In the future, you won't know why you were fired. You, you won't know why, you know, you're paying more for your products. You don't you won't know why you can't get a home loan or your kid can't get into a college uh, or you can't start a business. It'll just be a, a problem with your, you know, essentially how you, you know, go around in a society that is, that is connected through these, you know, economic and financial systems. So I'll give you an example of the way um, – this works today in China. So they're they're in Beijing. There's two cameras for every person. It's pow they're powered by artificial intelligence. It does facial recognition. So now, if you jaywalk in Beijing, um, you know the the Chinese Communist Party knows, and they have something called the social credit score. That lowers your social credit score. If your score drops too much, 
you know, you could they could come and take away your dog. They could prevent you from getting on public transportation. They can prevent you from opening a bank account. These are how, you know, they use it in China today. And what's going to happen if we don't change this is, you know, you'll, you'll, you're, as cameras get arrayed around a city like Washington, D.C. or New York City, and they're tracking your, your actions, if the actions that you um, take are not, you know, essentially characterized as good in the eyes of, of, you know, the Chinese Communist Party and their business units, which act as extensions of the party, then you could find yourself having some of the same difficulties that a citizen today in China has. <laughs> I guess 1984 is uh, just a few years late. Uh, but, yeah, it's, re- it's really built into the, to the 5G world. That's, you know, when I was a defense attache in Beijing in 2017, you could order food on your phone and then walk into a restaurant, never touch your phone again because the camera would pick up your face, do facial recognition, the server would greet you by name and hand you your food. I, I you know, I'm just sitting back. I'm sorry. Let's change the subject a little bit. But what what's going on at the Chinese consulate in Houston? Well, it was the center of Chinese espionage. All the consulates and the embassy are centers of espionage. I think what, what you're finding is that the United States government is realizing that the only way to slow down some of these things is really to prevent access. And that's really what the national security strategy is about. It's about protecting by, by denying access to those that would harm the United States, rebuilding by reinvesting in infrastructure and manufacturing our industrial base, science and technology, STEM education, and really inspiring, you know, other countries to embrace democracy and join with the United States to, you know, protect their citizens and also begin to rebuild. What's been happening is technology, innovation, talent, and capital been flowing into the Chinese Communist Party-led China and really, you know, destroying the working class in a lot of these countries. I have a question, political question for you. If Joe Biden gets elected president, what happens? Well, I definitely think it's going to be a setback because, you know, his his viewpoints with regard to China are aligned with the establishment. I think, uh, however, there's going to be a pushback within the bureaucracy. I think uh, on, on the Hill we have a bipartisan support for pushing back against China. So it's going to be a slowdown, but it won't be a complete reversal. I think, you know, what Pompeo said at the Nixon Library is really laying out, you know, a new direction for American foreign policy. It doesn't change easily, and and this change wasn't done, you know, without a lot of forethought and and research. So uh, I think there's a consensus in D.C. now. Unfortunately, that consensus is not shared by corporate America or Wall Street. What 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 can the public do about this? I mean, I, I guess read your book one and become better educated. But what should the public be doing? Well, they should do that. They should vote. They should vote for those candidates that actually understand the challenges. And if they don't understand them, they ought to talk to them. And it's really about putting pressure on our political system to really put pressure on the corporate and Wall Street system to stop sending our retirement funds to China and stop being in bed with the Chinese Communist Party. I don't know if you saw the interview or the, uh, the um, you know, the, the, the testimony by the four tech CEOs uh, in Congress, but, I mean, three of the four said that they don't know anything about the Chinese government stealing uh, anything. So, really, what that tells you is those three tech CEOs want to continue to sell to China, therefore they're beholden to the Chinese Communist Party. This is the system that the party created, this idea that they can incentivize our own corporate um, you know, executives and align them with their own interests by ensuring that they have access to Chinese markets and have access to Chinese capital. Well, what is the long-range goal of the Chinese Communist Party? It's to stay in power. 
and it really is to leverage the uh, the excess that the Chinese people produce for their own wealth and benefit. And they're 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 absolutely terrified that the Chinese people are going to figure out what's going on. So in order to prevent that, they need to change the character of the democracies around the world to not support you know this idea of you know individual liberty and rule of law and civil rights and human rights and free trade, all of these ideas that are kind of characterized in the Atlantic Charter, you know, the precursor to the United Nations, the understanding that, you know, the way, uh, you know, that people want to live or is in a democracy where they have the ability to you know, reach their dreams. That is not what the Chinese Communist Party wants their people to, to understand. So therefore, not only must they oppress their own people, but they must suppress those values and, and principles abroad. How does the how do, the average person in China? Are, what do they know? What are they thinking? Is there any opposition to the government? Well, not really, because um, what they're taught from the time that they go to school, you know, in preschool and kindergarten, is to love the party. You know, essentially, what the Chinese Communist Party does is ban all religion, and so the religion really becomes uh, worship of the party. You know, if you're, a, if you're a school kid, you know, the, the, the cool thing is to get the red sash. You know, that means you're a good, you're a good um, party member and a good citizen. Not really a party member, but you support the party. And so everything is done to build this love of the party uh, from the time that kids start in school. You know, and so in reality... Every time a Chinese student does happen to fall off the wagon, if you will, here in the United States, their parents are going to be the first to tell them, hey, you need to get back. You're, you're being unpatriotic. You're being disloyal to the Chinese Communist Party. So it's built into the character of the society. Now, they control the media. They control the Internet. They control essentially everything that supports that initial indoctrination and reinforces it. So... It is very difficult for somebody that's um, grown up in that system to recognize what's going on. You know, um, you, uh, just a quick anecdote. I was in Taiwan, um, you know, at the uh, elections this year in January, and, you know, I was looking for the campaign uh, rally, and I realized I didn't know the word for campaign rally in Chinese because I'd never learned it because I'd spent most of my time in mainland China. So... In a lot of ways, they control the language that's spoken, so they control the understanding of the outside world, which is incredibly powerful. All right, the name of the book, Stealth War, How China Took Over While America's Elite Slept. The author, Brigadier General Robert S. Spaulding III. Thank you for being on Connor's Corner. Thank you so much. All right, good luck to you. Do you have somewhere to sleep? Did you eat today? Are you making ends meet? For thousands of New Yorkers, the answer is no. For children and youth, adults, seniors, people struggling with addiction or mental illness, and for the isolated, Catholic Charities of Brooklyn and Queens is there. With 160 programs and more than 4,500 units of affordable housing, Catholic Charities is one of the largest multi-service charitable organizations in the nation. We help change lives and build communities. If you or someone you know needs assistance, call 718-722-6001 or visit CCB. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors, accompanied by my wife, Beth. We're here. And my son, Michael. Hello. Okay, thanks again to Ed Mullins and General Spaulding for, you know, their insights. And, you know, it's a frightening world that we're dealing with right now, you know. They're enemies from the inside. They're enemies from the outside. Incompetency in some of our elected officials, especially here in New York. You know, it's hard to have any faith in the future or whatever, but do the best we can. And let's not forget to vote, you know, this November, because Bill de Blasio got elected by not, by people not voting. That's really what happened. And, you know, I can't run into, I, I don't run into anybody who said they voted for him. And those who did, the few that did, you know, said they regretted it now, but it's too late now. And we're going to be dealing with Mayor de Blasio for a while. And, you know, the unfortunate reality is, I mean, what you took away from both of our guests, both, um, General Brigadier General Spaulding and Sergeant Mullins of the SBA is, you know, the the threats are subversive. And this is, 
no matter what you actually what what you might see in the media everything else so much of this just comes down to money and power that at the end of the day is what the fight is about and so you know yes a lot of this is just about taking down our country so that someone else can be ascendant that's always been the agenda of the People's Republic of China. That's always been the agenda of their ruling Communist Party. And it's something that they dialed back for a while, but under Xi Jinping, it has been increased tenfold. You know, speed turned up to 11. How old is he anyway right now? Let's see. He became president in 2014, mm-hmm. but um, which is more recent than you might think. But I don't know. How old is he? I can look that up. Yeah, because what's going to happen to China after he dies? But that's another discussion. Or unfortunately, I don't think he's. I don't think it's a Putin scenario where he's monolithic. I think he's got enough people that think like him that the problem just doesn't go away if he passes. And he's only sixty-seven, so mm-hmm. okay. Count on a few more decades of him. Yeah, at least fifteen more years, you would think. Yeah. Well, I, the whole thing to me is so scary, and I don't understand how people who grew up in this wonderful country, you know, parents successful, you know, how how they've just come to hate it and hate the the way it became welcoming, the 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 way it became so good. Why people all want to come here? Why why on earth would you think that someplace else is better when people are trying to come here? You know, I'm really starting to get tired of politics and what's going on. And again, I no doubt about it. We got to vote and try to get the right people in office, or at least not the worst people. Keep them out of office. Uh, but as, as we're getting tired about politics, next week we're going to be talking about one of my favorite movie actors. We're going to be talking to Mark Elliott, who previously we we talked about his book American Titan about John Wayne, and he's got a book out about Charlton Heston. Right. And we're going to talk about Charlton Heston. Wait a minute. You know, I've, he was at 55 Days of Peking, so he was in China in that there you movie. Go. I doubt if they filmed it in China. <laughs> um, we're filmed by the great director, Nicholas Ray. But we're talking a lot about, you know, the greatest show on earth and the great great cast that was the greatest show on earth, which, of course, not only counted Charlton Heston and Jimmy Stewart, but Henry Wilcoxon and Lawrence Tierney and Cornell Wilde and Betty Hutton. You know, that was an interesting movie, too, with, with, directed by Cecil B. DeMille. So, and one thing I learned, did anybody know that uh, Cecil B. DeMille's first choice for Moses was not Charlton Heston, but Victor Mature? No! And then, <laughs> and then he was also thinking about William Boyd, Hopalong Cassidy, which <laughs> some people don't realize, but William Boyd did a number of films for Cecil B. DeMille back in the silent era. But thank goodness, Charlton Heston appeared. All right, well, we'll talk about it next week. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Bye-bye, everybody. We are gathered here on hallowed ground. Voices raised, heads bowed down. We're gathered here on hallowed ground to sing this for the way. We are gathered here on hallowed ground. Voices raised, heads bowed down. We're gathered here on hallowed ground to sing this for the way. Hi, Kevin McCullough. Are you or your parents' assets protected from nursing home bills? Did you know these bills can exceed $15,000 a month?